Anyone recognise where that song comes from? Who sings that song? Stan Walker, exactly. And I think Dan does it better. Just don't tell Stan. Well, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads. And I'm not just talking about dads who have children, but actually any man in the house who is in any way an influence in someone else's life, who fathers, who encourages, mentors, raises up, all extremely, extremely important. And uh, being Father's Day, I I find Father's Day quite uh, enlightening. I find getting Father's Day gifts quite enlightening. It reveals the holes in one's parenting efforts. (laughs) One of my children wonderfully uh, decided that... uh, that they were going to buy me some gumboots, which is good because I haven't had gumboots for years and now the, we've just moved house and it's a bit of a boggy section, so gumboots would be really, really helpful. And so they seconded one of the other children to go and buy me some gumboots. And apparently when they came out with the gumboots, uh, the first child said to the other child, did you get the right size? The other child responded, what do you mean right size? They're gumboots. They only come in one size. Needless to say, we're going to have to go back and change the size 6 gumboots for size 11 gumboots in the next day or so. And more importantly, it's clear that I failed as a Kiwi dad to educate my kids in the finer points of gumboots. I stand before you embarrassed. Well, today we're going to look at a time when Jesus educated his disciples in the finer points of relationship with God. In Luke chapter 11, that's what Jesus does. The disciples ask him, Jesus, teach us about prayer. Teach us about this relationship. (coughs) Excuse me, can I have some water, Lizzie? He starts with the Lord's Prayer, uh, which emphasizes this close prayerful relationship with God that is portrayed to us as a relationship between a child and a father. Then comes the parable of the friend at midnight and And Jesus draws out of that some really important things. He teaches the disciples to understand who the God is that they're praying to. He teaches the disciples what to pray for. He teaches the disciples how to pray. And most importantly, he teaches them why to pray. And I have to say, these are really important questions, right, that we all need to understand. Because some of us, we don't have the relationship with God that we could have because we don't get one or more of these. We don't understand some of these things. Who are you praying to? It's a really important question. Who is God for you? Are you praying to God as king? Are you praying to God, the cosmic creator? Are you praying to God, the warrior the fighter? Are you praying to God the judge? Or are you praying to God the dad? Makes a huge difference. What are you praying for? Are you praying for world peace? Are you praying for religious unity? Are you praying to save the whales? I, I don't know. What, what are you praying for? Are you praying for a bigger TV? Are you praying for your success? Are you praying for God's success through you? What is it that that God is willing to answer for you when you pray? Important questions, right? How about this one? How do you pray? Do you come come like groveling, you know, like groveling before the the mighty God, king, warrior guy? Like, is that how you pray? When you come in prayer, is that what it's about? 
when you come and pray, do you have to bring a sacrifice? Like in the Old Testament, they always had to bring a sacrifice of animals. What, what is it for you? Some of us have to bring a sacrifice. A sacrifice of hard work, a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of something. Or do you come with confident trust like a child does to their mum or dad? I find it so educational to be in our cafe after, after a service. To watch children running up to their parents. Because again and again in Scripture, that is the picture that we are given of our relationship with God. And then finally, why do you pray? Do you pray because it's good for your character? Do you pray because it's helpful for mental health? Which, interestingly enough, science tells us it is. Do you pray because it appeases an angry God? Or do you pray because it delights a ridiculously good and generous and kind God who just wants to do this life with you? Let's jump into Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read through this, verses 1 and 2, and then on through 4 through to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He said, forgive us our sins, as we also forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. These were the things that Jesus is telling them to pray. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. I'm not quite sure why lend. He's probably not going to get those back in the same form that they were received in. Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've got no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son or daughter asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now today what I want to do is I want to start at the end and work back to the start. So let me answer this first. Why pray? Because Jesus addresses this. And the answer is because God is good. That's why we pray. Because God is good. In fact, God is actually so far beyond any reference point that we have for good. He's so far beyond kind that we don't have an earthly example to illustrate it. In fact, Jesus takes one of the most profound earthly examples of goodness and kindness, which is a good, kind, loving dad and how they treat their kids. And he says, on the scale between you and the goodness of God, we have to call this evil. That's how far out God's goodness, God's kindness is. God blesses us. 
And then Jesus asks, what will God bless us with? And he goes through a number of these things. God will protect us. God will provide for us. God will forgive us. God will sort out the deepest issues of our souls, the deepest issues of our bodies, and the deepest issues of our minds if we'll come to him and believe that he is good. In fact, what he will do is he will give you the answer to all of those things in pouring out the Holy Spirit into your life. And you have access to something and somebody who knows your needs before you ask, who's always with you day and night, everywhere that you go. In fact, you can't flee from him, Psalm 139 tells us. There's nowhere you can go to hide from God. And God will bless us with that. God will bless us with constant, 24-7, 365 day access to his goodness. So then how do we pray? What is most important is not a particular pattern, not a particular plan. What is most important, according to Jesus, is a particular attitude. It's to pray with that attitude that is confident, that is convinced that an answer will be forthcoming, and with a willingness to persist until it is received. I have an abiding memory of when our kids were small. And, you know, we were pastors, we were pastoring in church, and sometimes after church we'd be involved in discussions with people. And, and I'm going to have to pay Ali for this because if I ever use my kids in a sermon illustration, I have to pay them. Ugh. And, um, but I remember particularly with, with Ali when she was small, she would come out of kids' church and she'd run up to me, even though I was having important adult discussions with other important adults, and she would tug on my trouser leg. It didn't matter what the topic was. It didn't matter what the need was. She would tug until I picked her up. That was a great picture of persistence. It didn't matter to her. She just had this attitude of, that's my dad. I'm his. I win. Some of us need to come to God like that. That's my dad. I'm his. I win. God's got a lot on his plate, but he's never got too much on his plate to stop for you. Amen? And I would pick Ellie up. And then what would happen is I would tuck her in on my hip and I would keep on talking. And that wasn't good enough. She would say, Dad. I'd go, I'm just talking, baby. She'd go, Dad, 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 Dad. I'm going, honey, 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 honey. Talking, adult conversation. Shh, I'm talking. Dad, 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 Dad. And then when it got too much, you know what she would do? She would reach out her chubby little hands. She was the cutest little fat thing you've ever seen. She'd reach out her chubby little hands and she would take hold of my face and she would drag it around to her. And I'm nose to nose, nose to nose with a four-year-old. So rude. And that is exactly what God wants us to do with him. Amen. We're going to seek God's face. That's what it means when, when it, God says, seek my face. Seek my face. Don't be distracted by what you think I'm distracted with. Don't let things push in that you think are more important to me because I tell you, there is nothing more important to me than you. That's what God is saying. How do we pray? We pray with shameless audacity with confidence and with persistence. He illustrates this. Jesus illustrates this by telling a story about someone who came knocking on a friend's door late at night. I don't know if you've ever had anyone knocking on your door late at night. If you came and stood on our front step of our new house and rang our doorbell, we have a doorbell, never had a doorbell before, but if you rang it, you'd be waiting a long time. The reason is not that we don't like you, 
or that we don't answer the bell, it's just that the bell doesn't work. <laughs> no one will hear you. In fact, I was joking with Katie the other day when we arrived home and Kate was going, Dad, I, can we make the bell work? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with it. I'm not an electrician, I'm a pastor. Wrong dad. Uh, but we joked about it and we discussed the defunct doorbell and we suggested we should put a sign up which says, please push the button and shout ding dong as loud as you can until somebody comes. <laughs> Who knows that if a friend came to our house at midnight and did that, <laughs> ding dong! We live in Remy, where are ladies and gentlemen? Ding dong! I'm telling you, someone's coming. Someone is coming to that door. You see, you couldn't get away with not answering the door in a first century Palestinian village. You couldn't grumble your way out of not giving someone your precious amount of food at midnight because everyone lives so close together. Anyone knocking on someone else's door is going to be heard by many, many other people. And I'm telling you, in first century Palestine and and those in the Middle Eastern villages, hospitality is one of the highest values you can hold. And you are never going to leave someone outside knocking on your door. You you may hope they might go away if you ignore them once. But you cannot risk the loss to your reputation if you leave them hanging. Do you hear what God is saying? He will not risk the loss of his reputation by leaving you hanging if you stand on the door of heaven and knock and knock and pray and pray and pray. I'm absolutely convinced that God answers more prayers than we have any idea. God answers more prayers than we have any idea of. And I found this out one day when I was going, I was journaling every day and I I realized, uh, I realized when God brought a particular blessing one particular day, there's something God did beautifully for me. And I suddenly seem to remember, I'm sure I prayed about that a few months ago and I flicked back through my journal and I, I found that I had prayed about that exact thing. But here's what happens. I don't know about with you, but this is what happens with me. I start praying for something and, 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 and in my mind, I expect God will answer that by like Tuesday. Tuesday would be good. But sometimes God doesn't answer things by Tuesday. And so what happens is Tuesday comes and goes, and now we start doubting God. We start doubting how good he is. We start doubting his ability to answer our prayers. And and so we can't live with that tension. God is good, but he's not answering me. And so instead of going, it's okay, the Bible says in Romans 8 that in all things God is at work for those who love him and called according to his purpose. Instead of resting on what we find in Daniel, where we find that as soon as Daniel set his face to gain understanding from God, an answer was sent, but sometimes answers get interrupted on their way to us. Instead of standing in faith and persisting, what we do is we need to let God off somehow. Because we can't live theologically with the tension that we believe God is good and answers prayers, but he doesn't seem to have answered my prayer. What do we do with that? And so we begin a process of quietly forgetting that we ask God that. That's what I do. 
I forget that God asked that, but here's the problem. The problem then is, is that when God does answer that, a day, a week, a month, a year later, we don't connect it with the fact that God that I asked God that prayer in the first place, and so we don't give Him glory, and it doesn't build our faith. So this is what I started doing. I started going, what are the four biggest things in my life that I'm desperate for God to move in? And I wrote them in my journal. And I said, God, I'm praying for these, and I'm going to keep praying until you answer them. And at the end of every day, if God hasn't answered it, I transferred those same four things on. I couldn't add anything to the list. And every day I would transfer those four things over. And over a year, to my astonishment, God ultimately answered all of them. And when, and when God answered one, I put a new one in. And over a period of a year, but what, what happened was, was that God's timeline was different from my timeline. But what I found was that God was faithful to answer prayer. Some of us here have let go of the, that belief that God answers prayer. And I'm challenging you today. I'm challenging you. Do what I did. Grab a journal, write them down. What are the specific things that you're asking God for in prayer? And you keep rolling them over as long as it takes. And I honestly believe you will be amazed at how God answers prayer. Amen? This is the picture that Jesus is trying to give us. He's trying to get this across to us. Not only that we need an attitude of shameless audacity and confidence to come to our dad, but we also need an attitude of persistence to believe that God is good and He will answer, prayer, answer prayers and to hang in there until it comes through. And that finally leads us to our first question, which is who are we praying to? You know, today is Father's Day. It's a day when we shout out to our dads and offer Him thanks. For some of us, that's not a simple thing. Our earthly dads are imperfect. For some of us, our earthly dads have actually been abusive. For some of us, abusive in terrible, terrible ways. And that causes problems for us, not only on Father's Day, but it also causes problems for us when we think about God as a father because we inadvertently transfer onto God the hurt, the pain, the damage, the trauma that we've experienced. And so we live fearful of God. But we need to, we need to find a way through that because your earthly dad, if he was not a good dad, that is not what your heavenly dad is like. In fact, if, if that's the situation with you, I encourage you to think about who is, the, who is the kindest man you've ever come across in your life, the most dependable, the most consistent, the most generous, the one who believed in you no matter what happened. Who is the Roger Carnahan in your life? Because for some of you, that is who you need to look at when you think of who God is. My dad was a MacGyver. He could fix everything using anything. He loved God. He prayed through our house with mum. He did whatever it took to make ends meet. And when I woke up with nightmares, he would sit on my bed in the early hours of the morning and he would say to me, son, if the devil is hassling you this bad, God must have great plans for your life. He would lead us all in Sunday evening devotions, which I hated as a teenager. And it always conclude with the Lord's Prayer. And, and it's a prayer that tells us so much about God in so few words. God, you are my dad. Hallowed be your name. You are to be honored and you are honored and you are honorable. Your kingdom come. God, let your plans be evident in the world through me. Give me this day my daily bread. God, forgive me of my constant shortfalls. Now, I'm a pretty average dad, and I've made far too many mistakes in life to come close to being a great dad, but I recognize a great dad when I see one. 
A good dad or a great dad in terms of our parable is someone that you can count on to come to the door when you are knocking. He is someone that you can count on to give you good things when you ask for things. Even if it's not exactly what you asked, it's because it's better for you than what you were asking for. A good dad is someone who was always there when you call on them and they're always there for the big stuff. Funny how when I, whenever I called home after I'd left home, if it was the big stuff, I always asked for dad. Like when I fell asleep at the wheel one night driving my car home from some mate's place, crashed the car through a fence, knocked over a tree. It was dad who got out of bed at midnight came and found me, towed me out, and then went back with me the next morning to fix the farmer's fence. Or like as a first-year university student, when I got king hit, king hit outside a bar one night and put in hospital, I had to notify my next of kin that I needed an operation to re- repair my face. I know, this is actually repaired. <laughs> I rang home and mum answered, and I simply said, Hey, mum. I actually said, Hey, mum. I was a little messed up. I need to talk to dad, please. Mum later said that just hearing those words, I need to talk to dad, made her almost pass out. She had to sit down. They flew all the way down to Dunedin at huge cost the very next day to see me after my surgery. You see, a good father in Luke's view is one who doesn't just wait inside the house for you to come crawling back home, but who throwing dignity to the wind runs down the path to meet you with tears streaming down his face or gets on a plane regardless of the cost and flies to wherever you are or gets in the car and drives out to find you no matter how late it is at night. Maybe you've never known a dad like that. Maybe you have. I read of a woman who worked in a drug and alcohol rehab center and she said, we have all of our incoming residents fill out a questionnaire when they are admitted. One of the questions is, describe your home life growing up in a brief paragraph she says 90% of them start with these words I was raised in a good Christian home she said it's enough to turn you off good Christian homes important for us to realize that we are not immune to the difficulties and challenges that come all the more reason for us to come to this God who was so good and to know that he will move on our behalf Jesus began his prayer with Father, not because he wanted, to, he wanted people to equate God with their human fathers. God knows that our human fathers can hurt us as well as heal us. But Jesus prayed our Father while realizing that God's true identity and purposes exceed our ability to understand or articulate. But he also knew that we human beings with our limited knowledge need to make comparisons between God and something that we know. We know about family relationships, or at least what they should be. Mothers and fathers give us a glimpse of who God is. The prophet Isaiah portrays God as a mother, picking up her young and carrying them when they are tired. Jesus himself depicts God as a mother hen, gathering and shielding her chicks under her wings. When Jesus prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was remembering a daily prayer that he heard prayed in the synagogue called the Kaddish. It's a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. It says in part, 
Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel speedily and soon. You see, Jesus prayed a much more simple, more direct, more personal version of that prayer. Dad, honored is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day the stuff that we need to get through. Forgive us our sins, set us free from those things that hold us back. You know, as a university student miles away from God, when I came home to my flat so drunk that I could hardly stand before passing out, sometimes fully clothed on my bed in the icy cold of a Dunedin night, why do you think this was the prayer I always prayed? Because it addresses a father who is honored, who has good plans for me, who is dependable and who is kind and who will forgive me my sins. This is the God to whom Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. And when I was lost and lonely, that is the prayer that I prayed every single night. See, when Jesus called, sorry, when people called upon Jesus, who did they meet? What was the picture that they got of God? Who did they find responding to their call? To their disciples panicked in a storm at sea. Help us. Help us, Jesus. We're going to die in this storm. They found that he was the God who stood up and calmed the storm. To Jairus, a leader in the synagogue who fell at Jesus' feet, said, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. You have to do something. Who did he find? He found a God who raised her to life, who brought healing and wholeness. Not within the time that maybe he would have liked, but God did it. To a woman who fell at Jesus' feet, suffering from bleeding for 12 years, begging, just wanting just to touch him, didn't feel worthy enough even to address him, who did she find? She found a God with power that flowed out to her, even in her anonymity. To a leper who suffered physical pain and social isolation for years, who ran and fell at Jesus' feet, asking, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. What did he find? He found a God who stretched out his hand and touched him, a man who would not have known physical touch for years. That's who he found, a man who brought healing to his soul as well as to his body. When people called upon him, when they knocked at his door, they were met by a person who had what they needed and who gave it gladly and willingly. And Father's Day is a great day because it reminds us in particular of our Father in heaven. What's the takeaway for dads and, and fathers and those who father others this morning as we come to a close? You know, this whole passage that we're reading from the spiritual discipline of prayer to understanding who God is and how we should relate to him to the way we pray to be like that and to have that relationship, every question was at its root a question about how do I become like you, Jesus? How do I have the same relationship with God as my father, as my dad, that you have with God as your father and your dad? And the disciples recognized something about Jesus, that it was that he was a man of prayer, that he was a man who spoke regularly, who spoke often, who would go off 
and get just one-on-one time with God to sort things through, to, to work through his biggest decisions, to understand how to move forward on things, to find the healing and the peace that he needed. That's the kind of thing we have to understand and lean into. He gives us advice about prayer for our lives. Who are those men and women who receive what they ask for, who find what they're looking for, who experience doors opening and requests being granted? They are those who ask and keep on asking, the Greek tells us, who seek and seek and seek and who knock and knock and keep on knocking until the doors are answered. And Jesus keeps it very real. He acknowledges that so often our earthly dads and us who are dads. So often we fail. So often we aren't good. So often we aren't generous and we aren't kind, usually despite our best efforts to be that way. And Jesus uses this reality as a point of reference. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more, how much more, how much more with your heavenly dad give to you what you need. How desperate are we? How desperate is the world to know a God like this? There's a Spanish story told of a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away. And the father, brokenhearted and realizing what he'd done, set off to try and find his son. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in the last desperate effort to reach him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos turned up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. I tell you, your heavenly father is looking for you. And he's got a message for you. Come, meet with me. All is forgiven. I love you. Let's stand together this morning. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And let's just in our minds focus, lift our hearts, lift our, lift our minds, lift our eyes, lift our spiritual eyes. Can we lift our eyes to the face of, of this God who loves us so much? That He offers forgiveness even before we've asked for it. Who offers love so much love that He laid down His life for us before we're even aware of our need for Him. Maybe you're here today and you don't know this God. You don't have a relationship with Him. You've never taken that step of putting your trust in God. Well, I want to talk to you for a moment this morning. The Bible says that for God so loved the world, not the church, He so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would put his trust in them, who would believe in it, will not perish but have eternal life. That was written for you. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have, you have, we all have. And it's that sin 
that keeps us separated from knowing God, experiencing His, His love. The Bible says that Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life. And that through Him and only through Him can we know God as our dad, as our heavenly Father. And then Jesus said this, to all those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If that's you this morning, I'd like to invite you. I'd like to invite you to receive Jesus in your heart, in your mind, in your world. Receive Him. Believe in Him. Put your faith in Him. Your sin can be taken away in a moment. Jesus has already paid for it on the cross. He just wants you to know your heavenly Father this morning. If that's you, why don't you pray this prayer just in your own heart or in your mind. I'll just lead you through this, but why don't you pray this with everything in you to God this morning because I know He'll meet with you. It's a simple prayer. It goes like this. Why don't you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I confess that I am a sinner that I've fallen short of your standard. But I believe that you, Jesus, came as the way for me to know God as my Father. Would you forgive my sins this morning? Would you receive me as your own? Would you cleanse me on the inside and the outside? Would you make me new today? Thank you for receiving me right now with open arms. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me what the purpose of my life is. I commit myself to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray a general prayer in a moment and then get Lizzie up here. But If that was you this morning, you prayed that prayer, I'd love you to do me a favor. On your seat or on a seat right next to you is an orange connect card. Would you take a moment and grab that card and put your details down there and just tick that you prayed that prayer with us this morning. We'd love to get some information to you. I'd love to invite you along to Growth Track. Give us four weeks. We'll help you find your purpose in life. We'd love to see you grow on this journey with God. Just And when the offering bags come around, you just drop it in the offering bag and we'll get in touch with us this week. For the rest of us today, it's Father's Day. It's time to honour our fathers. And it's also time for us to honour our Heavenly Father. And so as we sing this final song in just a few moments, can we just sit, I mean, not sit, but can we just remain and take a moment to honour our Heavenly Father today? Amen. God, we love you. God, thank you, other God, who searches for us. Thank you that you are the God who says to us, all is forgiven, I love you. God, we come this morning We run this morning into your open arms. Thank you for receiving us. In Jesus' name, amen.